Welcome to the Officer Autumn Podcast, the only podcast designed specifically for female cops in mind. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Bridget, I'm so excited to have you on this podcast. Can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Bridget Truxillo. Um, I'm an attorney. Um, Before that, I was a deputy sheriff in Florida. I currently live in Houston, Texas. I'm actually kind of from all over the South, which is a whole episode. Um, (laughs) But uh, I've been an attorney for a long time. But when I was at the sheriff's office, I was starting to patrol like everybody. Um, I quickly went to the undercover narcotics unit. And then shortly after that, I got onto the SWAT team. And then I did both of those pretty much until the right until the end that I left. Um, when I very quickly decided I was changing the whole trajectory of my professional life and decided to go to law school instead of doing um, law enforcement for the rest of my life. But now I have a business. I, d- I did law firm life for a long time. I did litigation. Still kind of do still do some of that. So 14 years in 14 plus. Um, but I started a company called Protective Wellness a little over a year ago because what I've always wanted to do, and you'll hear my story throughout this podcast, but in spite of everything that happened in law enforcement, um, it's still very important for me to give back to law enforcement because I know what the job does to you, especially as a female. And I know that I can help, whether it's through the legal information or advice or representation that I can give because I know the world that you live in or through wellness training. So protective wellness provides wellness training and legal support. Um, and then we can talk a little bit more about what that means, but, but that's me. That, that's who I am and what I do. Oh, and I'm a mom of three kids and I'm married. So <laughs> Bridget, what kind of law do you practice now? Um, now I specialize in, in representing law enforcement and the issues that they have. Um, most often that is issues surrounding work, workers comp, um, but, um, harassment and, uh, discrimination, retaliation. Um, and what I mean by representing is I get questions from people across the country and I can help even if I'm not the person that files your lawsuit or, or helps you file your complaint. Um, but. I think particularly for women, because I was in a position where I felt like I, like I created a business that I wish I could have was available to me when I was doing what I was doing, because I, there were so many times I felt alone and picked on and singled out and highlighted and spotlighted and kicked and whatever spit at, um, that I just want to help in all the ways I know that law enforcement officers, particularly female law enforcement officers need it. So I provide um, advice on an array of topics. A lot of times it's harassment, retaliation, discrimination. Um, But I still, well, for 13 years, I did asbestos litigation. So um, I did a lot of of litigation work. And if you would have told me when I was a cop that I was going to become an attorney and do asbestos litigation, I would have said, I don't know about the lawyer part, but what is asbestos? Like, I didn't even know what it was. And then I just got a job and then it paid, I just kept trying to leave it. Like three times I quit the law firm world and, and it was like, I just I hated the law firm world. Um, I liked being able to help the families I was helping, um, but nobody survives mesothelioma. So you deal with a lot of, every client died, um, which I think also law enforcement prepared me for that. But um, uh but yeah, so I've done civil litigation basically for 14 years. I've never done anything criminal, certainly didn't do criminal defense. I always said from the get-go that I never wanted to help get the bad guys off. Uh, certainly didn't want to m- try and make the cops look bad. So I was never interested in that. Um, 
Well, thank yes. God you're in full integrity. <laughs> yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard of um, Atlas Shrugged by Ann Rand. No. Um, the, the character in that book is Henry, Harry or Henry, I think it's Henry Rourke. And he lives, I read that book in my early 20s. And this guy lives by like the utmost level of integrity. He was an architect and he only wanted to decide, design specific types of buildings. And he got this super high paying job and he would not do it. So he walked away from his career and then and went and worked in a stone quarry, like back breaking, nothing to do with, he's like, if I can't be an architect the way I want to be, it, I won't do it at all. It's like, that really stuck with me. Like a super high level of integrity and stick with it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to go work in a quarry or anything at this point, but, <laughs> but thank you for saying that because integrity is very important to me. Huge. So. Tell, tell us, let's talk about your career, dude. You said you yeah. were on SWAT. Like we need to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I was. Um, and for a long time, I didn't even like to talk about it. Um, I went into law enforcement obviously because I wanted to help like everybody wants to and not to downplay that it's not like you know but I did I want I no one in my family has ever been in law enforcement before um so they thought it was a little bit crazy I wanted a job I knew that thought thought would require me to be fit because I was already into fitness and then I got into patrol and realized that all those donut eating stories are true and so many cops are just in such bad shape and then I wanted to go to like federal law enforcement somehow. So that was what got me to the local level. And because I wanted to get the experience so that I could apply. Uh, so I went to college, graduated from the University of Florida. The very next week, I started the police academy at the sheriff's office so that I could one day apply for federal law enforcement. Um, realized most people in patrol are super lazy. Me, as soon as I could, tried for the narcotics unit because I also thought that would look good for me to apply to something like the DEA. And I just got much more active and, you know, TV-like, which sounds silly. That's not, that's not really why I did it. No, I hear but, um, and, and then a SWAT team came up. And I didn't go into law enforcement thinking that I would try out for SWAT team. But they had a spot. And I, I figured I could do it. So it's funny that I've told this story on other podcasts, but um, one of the guys that I'd gone to police academy with, because this was it. I mean, I, I started at the sheriff's office in, I think, September or October. And by the next November, I was on the narcotics unit and, and at the same time trying out for SWAT team. And so it had been a year from the police academy. And one of the guys had gone to, like, I worked for the sheriff and he went for one of the cities within my county. So we were friendly. Um, and he found out somehow that I was, I mean, obviously me trying out for SWAT sort of made the local news, not really the news, but like the gossip. And he found out and he literally called me and said, he said, I heard you're trying out for SWAT team. And I was like, yeah. He goes, you really think that's literally, he said, you really think that's a good idea? Of course he said that. Of course. <laughs> and I thought, and I said, well, I guess now we're not friends. And of course I did it. Like, what are you talking? Like, you just sealed the deal, buddy. I mean, why wouldn't I do it? Why can't, why you really think it's a good idea? Why? What does it even mean? You know, Bridget, so, this makes me want to go off on a soapbox for just a second, because, mm -hmm. you know, here's the deal. People don't understand. I feel like people literally, men don't understand what they're saying to us. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, no, there's been times where I have said, do you hear yourself right now? Right. Yeah. Right. No, there, I, and I think I've for sure said that out loud. I know I've said that out loud. I can tell you another three stories 
that happened when I left the SWAT team that I literally said out loud, do you hear yourself? Yeah. Like, good Lord. Yeah. You know, you know because it, I don't know. I don't think sometimes I don't understand. I'm like, what, what did you just say to me? There's been mm -hmm. so many times in my career. I'm like, Mm -hmm. Even today, like, what, what the fuck did you just say to me? Like, yeah. what? <laughs> mm -hmm. listen, at the end of the day, and I say this, and I do need to make it on my own app. I need to just, I better write this shit down. I have got to like talk about this. You, here's why I love this conversation with you, and we're going to talk more about it. But like, if a woman can do exactly the requirements for the fucking job, mm -hmm. she fits it. Why are we shitting on her? We're not, listen, here's the deal. I'm not fucking asking for, in fact, I think that male and female requirements need to go away. Let's just make the requirements. That's how yeah. I feel. That's how I feel. Like make the requirements. If I want to do a position, if I want to get into law enforcement, whatever, I will make sure that I can hit mm -hmm. everything. Right. So, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, we're not asking for, you know, special treatment, a side door, any of that shit, but, but if we can earn it, give it to us. Let us earn it. Like, let us just have it. I know? literally said to my SWAT commander one time when I had I had just had enough that I went into his office and said, I'm not asking for better treatment. I'm just asking for equal treatment. And he said to me, don't make trouble for yourself where there's not any. See? And, and this I was is like, dude, oh there's already trouble. <laughs> this so, makes me want to fucking yeah. jump through the fucking I know. I literally oh said God. that I don't want special treatment. I don't want to. I did the same SWAT tryout all the guys did. There was about, I mean, I, I don't remember, four or five of us trying out together at the same time, maybe six. I don't remember. And but the whole team had to do the run that we did. I mean, we I did the same repelling they did, the same shooting they did. I had to drag the same dummy that they had to do. Well, I dragged it, some of them picked him up. But who gives a shit? As long as I get the dummy in the van, I saved that dummy's life. But, um, I didn't have any separate standards. So then why are you holding me to a different standard? And it's never going to not be that way. Unfortunately, I think progress has been made very slightly. Um, and in some different departments, right? Because I have had right. women reach out to me and be like, hey, Autumn, like, I love what you're doing, but my department's fucking cool. Yeah. Yes. Fuck yeah. But that is not, not, all that's of them. not the story. For no. The majority of police departments yeah for so sure what tell let's talk about that so like you got into SWAT like how was that like well how how was it for you like what was the process like explain that to me um yeah I mean uh, yeah, put my put your name on the list I can't even remember if I had to get like approval for it but you know some agencies you can't apply to any you know specialized unit unless you've been there for a long time but i mean i got on the narcotics unit they had no females so duh you need a female buying drugs yeah. chicks can buy drugs so much quicker and easier oh, especially yeah. i mean if you're a white male you're, everybody's just gonna assume you're a cop no, no yeah. offense and i'm not being racist i'm just saying like i'm a white chick and i, I got way more crack than like they would always have, would prefer me to buy it instead of them because they still didn't assume I was a cop, even though they, you know, that's stupid saying like, you're a cop, you have to tell me if you ask like, no oh, dumbass, like you're so dumb, that's why you're selling dope. Anyway, um, so they had the tryout. I mean, we started it like, and the sun wasn't up yet. Um, so it was before the sun came out, we, st we did the run. I had no problem with the run. Um, 
And then we drove somewhere. I know, we, like I said, we had to do rappelling. We had to do an interview. We had to do shooting. The only bad part is the shooting they put towards the end of the day. So after we had already done the run and the, uh, the obstacle course, which they talk about the dummy, it was challenging obstacle course. Um, not to mention that my nerves, like I, mean, I knew I was the only female. I mean, we were lined up two by two in a line. It's dark, getting ready to start the run. And the SWAT commander at the time, it changed right after I made the team. He, my maiden name is Baragona. And so this is before I was married or had kids. He, we we're getting ready to start. Everybody lined up waiting to go. And he goes, Baragona, making history, girl. One way or the other, you're making history. So like just starting the day, like, holy shit. Let's just no, go. Let's just no go. Pressure. No pressure. So, you know, I get, we do all this stuff. And I think the second to last thing we did was shooting. But this was after the obstacle course, the rappelling, the running, and then we shot. And that was the part that probably made me the ner most nervous just because I was spent, you know? And then we had an interview with a room full of SWAT guys. And um, I remember that one of the things they asked you is what's your plan? And I, I am an open book. I've always been an open book. I would never, never have been, will never be a good poker player. Um, and one of the things I asked is, what are your plans? And I said, well, I'd like to go to federal law enforcement someday. And I said, like, how long would you, like, what do you want, you know, what's your time frame? I was like, well, I don't control that, but, you know, three to five years would be nice. And then I, one of the guys told me later, he was like, you never should have said that. That was so dumb. Like, no, why would they invest all this time and money and you put you on the team just for you to leave? And I'm like, because well, all of you are lying. If you say you wouldn't take, I mean, four or five of the guys that I worked with left and went to federal law enforcement or state law enforcement. And that's just me being super freaking honest. And so um, it took them about three months to put me on the team. They had two guys, well, two guys, uh, I think two guys got in trouble or something. And so it just took them, I think immediately they filled one. Long story short is I got put on the team in January, but then come to find out later, because my SWAT captain told me on three separate occasions, explicitly, verbatim, he said, the only reason you're on this team is because the captain made me put you on. That's bullshit. The third time he said that to me, this was after keeping in mind that we had already competed in the SWAT roundup. Like I had to, we SWAT roundup international, look it up. It's called Florida SWAT roundup international. It's in Orlando, um, just outside of Orlando. They still have it. It's super amazing. I had to try out within my own team to make the SWAT roundup competition team, which I did make it. And then we went to SWAT Roundup where they had, they have roughly 75 teams. Each team has six people on it. And the first year I went, there were three females total. The second year I went, it was two females total, meaning there's only one of them besides me the second year. And one of the ev events is an obstacle course that I've seen grown men throw up on. Mm. And the second year we went, my, our team placed in the top 10 of this, of this um, um, obstacle course and wow. with me on the team. And so this is, guys. so this is after we've competed in all this stuff, I can prove to them that physically I'm capable. I can shoot, I can do all these things. And my captain and I are SWAT captain. Um, he's a lieutenant, but anyway, um, we were in the gym. The only two people in the gym at the sheriff's office. So obviously we're dedicated individuals and something came up and he says, yeah, well, you know, he told me again, the only reason you're on the team is because the captain made me put you on. And I stopped what I was doing. I turned around and looked at him and I said, Lieutenant, I heard you the first two times. And I refused to like walk out. I like, finished my workout and then left the room. And I'm just like, mother, I mean, just what's the point? Like, I heard you. 
Mm-hmm. I don't, will you, if you want me to quit, I haven't quit. And eventually mm-hmm. I did. Cause and then the story after that, which I could tell, but yeah, we um, want to hear it. Well, so I was also on the SWAT team at this, I mean, the narcotics unit at the same time, like I said, the narcotics unit, we would, anytime we got a search warrant, the SWAT team would execute the search warrant. So some agencies, they're big enough where their narcotics unit get that type of training, but there's a very dangerous situations, obviously. So whenever we would get a search warrant, we would, the search, the SWAT team would execute the search warrant, break down the door, secure the scene. And then once it was all secure, SWAT would leave and the narcotics unit would come in. And really what that meant is three of us would switch hats. Um, we had a small narcotics unit. Um, this particular search warrant, um, I did the buys myself. So I did the undercover buys, buying cocaine in this guy's house with a rifle sitting right next to him every time. And my county, we had to have three buys before we could get a search warrant. And so I did that, did all the buys, wrote the search warrant, got the state attorney to approve it, got the judge to sign it. So it's all legit. And now it's SWAT team time. And, you know, by this time, like we had what I call like the assault vehicle that the entry team would ride on. And then behind that would be the equipment van. And it's like the, the, what I call the bread van. Um, I only ever got to drive the, the, the bread van, the, the equipment van. They never, never let me do anything in the, um, the assault vehicle. And so we rescued the search warrant and, you know, again, it was my search warrant and I did the SWAT team thing. And then as soon as the SWAT team secured, but I didn't get to do it. I just sat in the equipment van, wait and see if they needed anything. And even though I did the same training they did, um, a couple weeks later, I guess the, so the state attorneys that we worked with a lot to get our narcotics stuff invited two or three of us to a party they were having. And we were at this party and one of the guys I still remember, his name's Brian Gaynor, were there ex-marine like total jar head like neck was the same size as his head but good decent guy tells me that on the way to that search warrant so there's a backstory to this which i can tell you but on the way to that search warrant that the entire swat team was calling me a rat and a snitch behind my back and i I, my jaw hit the floor so the backstory to that is um you know i got called out on everything Every single mistake I made, they wrote me on everything. And for the longest time, I just thought, oh, you're right. I made a mistake. It's okay. I'll do better. Oh, you're right. I made every, you're you're right. I made a mistake. I'll do better. Oh yeah. You're right. I didn't lock that door on that van. That's in a secure compound, but you're right. I forgot to lock that one door and it's a secure compound, but go ahead, write me up, put a letter in my file, give me three months probation, whatever. Make me do 500 mountain climbers. Um, And one time we were, this is uh, early 2000s, so not that long after Columbine, where all agencies were doing active shooter training um, in a school. If you remember from our baby people on this, listening to this are too young, but one of the things about Columbine high school shooting is that at the time you, you wouldn't make entry, you would wait for the tactical team to show up in a school shooting so that they could handle the shooter. Well, what ended up happening is that people in that school ended up bleeding out and dying when they had they gone in, they could have potentially saved lives. And so we used to train on that all the time, active shooter. I mean, the whole, our whole department did train to that so that you could prevent something like happening. So we were, it was the summertime, we were at this high school in, in the hood um, training for active, shoot, active shooters. So there was nobody else on the, on the campus, but it was in the hood. And I come out, we're on a break, and I'm one of the first people out of the school in the, in the, into the parking lot. And my sergeant, who used to just eat my shit up all the time, I mean, anything that he could tear me up for, he did. 
and he's a team leader on SWAT, so he has even more gear than I do. I mean, flashbangs, maybe even some grenades, Benelli shotgun, probably an automatic AR, yeah. all kind of ammunition. I come out, his window's down, his trunk is open, and his, I think his door might have, but I remember for sure the window was down, but his trunk was wide open. There were all his gear, all his, his I literally stood there. I don't know if you show the video on this, but like, I literally stood there with my mouth wide open. And I like looked around me, like, does anybody else see this? I don't remember if anybody else was there, but like one of the guys came out and I didn't say anything. I didn't go like, hey, Sarge, asshole, go close up your car. No, I didn't do that. I just let it be. It didn't say anything. And I just waited to see if something would happen. Like, it's still, if I really talk about it, it can get my hand shaking. Because I was so like, you have got to be kidding me. Right. Nobody said a thing to him. He didn't get written up. No, I, they would have tried to fire me if they could have over that. And I, so I don't know, remember how long it took, but not that long after, I was like, "That's it." I went into my shit. My SWAT lead, now the lieutenant of narcotics was also the SWAT commander, so I went into his office and said, "That's when I told him, I said, look, I, I'm not asking for better treatment. I'm just asking for equal treatment.'" He's like, "What do you mean?" I was like, "I'm not saying who it is, but he came out of that training the other day, and there was one of the guys had his car wide open. I didn't even say who it was." He went, he's like, who was it? I was like, no, I'm not going to tell you who it was. I'm just going to say that if that had been me, you guys would have torn me up. Hmm. And he said, don't make trouble for yourself where there's not any. And he said it twice. And finally, I was like, I don't really know what you're even talking about because I already live in trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, And then two weeks later, I can't remember exactly, maybe a week or so later, I did the search warrant week or so after that, I found out they were all calling me a snitch behind my back because I went and told my captain I just wanted equal treatment. I mean, a month before that, I got in trouble for not setting up a, an undercover narcotics vehicle, like a, one of our cars that we could set up to do buys. And I was supposed to set it up before I went home. That was really, really sick. Like, I mean, sick. And I, I went to the doctor the first thing in the morning so I could get to the office and have my med, like my antibiotics and all this other shit. And I didn't get the car set up ahead of the time but I still went to work, even though I could have called in sick. This is way before COVID where people would be like, God, oh, stay yeah, home. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I got written up for that. I got written up for not having the car ready. And so it's also punishment. They made me drive. We got off at like midnight that night. They made me drive an RV to a car wash to wash it. I'd never driven an RV before. And I've certainly never washed an RV, but I'm going to tell you right now, it takes a long time. And I'd never driven an RV before. So as I was driving out of our compound, I nicked the taillight and I broke off a piece of the taillight. I get to work the next day. They wrote me up for a crash. And so not only did you not tell me I was going to get written up, it was just in my file. Well, of course, the captains all see crash reports, you know, because that's a high liability. And this is the same captain that made them put me on the SWAT team. And I know that he had started telling them, like, you guys need to ease off a little bit. Like, it, this is becoming a little too obvious that you're picking on somebody. Yeah. And he got the crash report and he called me in the office and he's like, do you want to talk about this? And I was like, no. At the time, I was like, no, I don't want to talk about it. He's like, why? So because I just want to, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to be that girl, I would say. I want to, I want to be respected as an operator. I want to be respected as a, as a dependable officer. I don't want to be the girl that complained or filed a report. Now, looking back on it, yep. I should have filed a report um, for discriminatory treatment. But mm-hmm. my, And so 
like I did the got the crash report. Um, my sergeant didn't made an error that I would have gotten eaten up alive for. My SWAT commander told him all of being a rat. I found out all that happened, and then within, I, so my captain called. You know, maybe three or four weeks after he called me and said, "You want to talk about it?" I walked in his office and I said, "That's it. I want off SWAT. I want off patrol. I'm done. Like I want off of it. I want you to put me on days. I'm not working nights anymore, and I want it to happen next week." And he said, "Okay." You got it. Wow. Because he knew. And, and then at that time, I already knew I was going to be going to law school. So they could just shove it up their stupid asses. But I don't think they're stupid. It was just <laughs> maybe a little bit. But um, Bridget, what would you give for advice for any woman that's going through something similar? Because your story, while it sucks, it's not. Unfortunately, I wouldn't say it's rare. Right. It's not. No. And when I, that's what I think is so great about anybody that's in your community and the people that are listening, the females listening to this podcast or, or anybody who, who feels discriminated against, but for sure, I, I just know what that's like as a female is number one, write it down or email yourself or email it to somebody. So you have a timestamp story. Like as soon as you start to think, wait a second, this is, um, this is a lot. This is a little too much. Not You're right. right. You should pay attention to your intuition and you need to start writing that down. But I just say like in our, the electronic world we have now, you can never really erase an electronic record or it's very difficult mm -hmm. to do so. So that's why mm -hmm. I say email it to somebody or text it to somebody or something where you're, you're making an electronic file of it and you're creating your story. Because if you do want to make a complaint, and then this is the attorney coming out of me, is you can pull up this record and you're not having to try and remember it. Um, what I would say is I should have said to my lieutenant, that's enough. Like, you know, I get it. And it's enough. I'm respectfully requesting you to stop saying that, to not say this kind of stuff to me anymore. Or when I went into his office to say, I'm with all due respect, I'm requesting that any, the treatment be fair. And then not really say or else, but you're like, saying like, I'm, I want you to, I want to put you on notice that I'm recognizing this treatment is not equal. That's not fair. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It won't, you know, it shouldn't continue. So I'm making you aware that I'm aware of it. And then I sort of put that on notice. I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have put my Lieutenant and my Sergeant on notice saying enough's enough. You know, I've tried to prove you, I can do my job. I realize that's not going to matter. So I'm putting you on notice that this treatment needs to be equal for everyone. So let me ask you this. What are some indicators that it's not equal? Like, okay, because there are times we just need to be honest. We're going to call a spade a spade because I'm not looking to, you know, be any kind of sexist or any kind of one way. Right. So there are times where men and women, but we're going to talk about the women. We, we can be a little fucking sensitive. Okay. So straight up, right? Like, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you there haven't been times where I'm like, oh, they're singling me out. And then like, and then I get mm -hmm. it, like less emotional and I'm like, no, they're not. I'm being fucking really emotional about it right now. Like calm the fuck down. When is it a problem, Bridget? Like what, like what should, like what are indicators? What should, like, it's not that I want to be on the lookout for, but it's like, if this is occurring, then we know that it's like not, it, it, it's on purpose. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, so one of the things that I dealt with at the time, which I said earlier, is that like, I would say, oh, I made a mistake. They're right. I made a mistake. Are you supposed to leave a door unlocked on the SWAT van that has all the gear, like, like flashbangs and grenades and extra ammo rounds in there? No, you're not. So did I make a mistake? Yes. And yet 
they are they have to implement their policies the same across the board they can't decide to only uh, enforce their policies against one and not another and the red flags that you look for, for look for i promise i'm not really i know how to speak um, the red flags that you look for are the things that you start to recognize it's not you're going to know it you're going to see that this is not being applied equally what and whether that's because you're a female or not um you don't have to just you know it doesn't have to be that i think that whether you are having an emotional response to it or not that regardless when you calm down because we always do is that you're going to know this is not fair and i don't necessarily like the word fair but for lack of a better word to say this is not how everybody's being treated even if you've actually made a mistake even if something where you you violated some type of policy somewhere but are they applying that the same to everyone across the board and i'm sure you will see that that's not the case it you're going to know you're going to have a feeling or you know go ahead and like i say write it down and then just start to see, like it's not that you're looking for other people's mistakes but then you'll start to see like wait that that was a mistake you look around and see what happens and and also is that you're not supposed to know when people get in trouble because that's supposed to be something that just goes into their file and it's not supposed to be talked about but we all know that stuff is talked about mm -hmm. and so you will know um and um i just think it's that the flag the red flag you look for are the things that you're gonna know and just just don't ignore your intuition on it is i wish i would have stood up for myself in the sense of saying, Captain, I can, this is not being done equally. It's supposed to be. And you can just leave it at that. Mm -hmm. You don't have to explain yourself. Certainly don't say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but let me tell you so-and-so. No, don't say it. You're mm -hmm. not sorry for asking for equal treatment. Mm -hmm. And don't beat yourself up too much when you do make a mistake. We all make mistakes. Now, I'm not saying like, accidentally shooting somebody. I mean, that's, that's an issue. Right. I'm talking about if you forgot to lock something, or you messed up a report, or you, um, you relate to something or, mm -hmm. you know, the little things that they mm -hmm. turn into a big, gigantic deal. Like swearing in your cruiser when you're all by yourself, but your camera's on, mm -hmm. but you say the F word, just like every other officer. Mm -hmm. But I happen to get written up for that because mm -hmm. my sergeant had a hair across his ass about me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like that. But nobody mm -hmm. else gets written up for it. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, that's a perfect example. I mean, anybody listening, if you've known any cop ever that has never cussed, mm -hmm. please email me or Autumn and let us know mm -hmm. so that we can figure this out. That, that I, that's like a unicorn. As soon as you see a unicorn, please let me know. Or mm -hmm. a flying pig. Mm -hmm. one, of, it's one of those. Three mm -hmm. of those three. A cop that doesn't cuss, <laughs> a unicorn, or a flying pig. Um, let us know. Yeah, because that doesn't exist. And when you know something's happening, and, and in one sense, especially if you're still rather new, you'll be thinking, oh, you're right, I made a mistake. Oh my gosh, I want to fix it. I want them to respect me. I want to do a good job. But then pretty quickly, you'll start to think, wait a second. Like, I'm not, the, I'm not perfect and neither are you. So it's important that you say something about that. And I'm going to tell you, I didn't do it. 
I wish I would have. And having a group like this that you have on them and the, the community, I think is so important because it gives people hearing these kind of stories. I mean, there are women out there who've been through these things that are taking action on these things that can help you. That didn't exist for me at the time. I didn't know who to turn to. I didn't know who to ask for anything. I didn't trust anybody. Like the, even my union, it was one of the, no offense, anybody, the guys listening, but it was just one of the guys. And I was at a relatively small department. So there was no way to get away from what they were going to say about me anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's having a community like this of people that you can lean on that will give you the encouragement to mm -hmm. stand up for yourself because I want you to stay in this job mm -hmm. and there are going to be times you need to stand up for yourself and please stand up for yourself because it's, it's not like you're going to look back one day and say, Oh, I'm worthless. I didn't have the courage to do that. No, I'm, but I am saying that you will have your own self-respect. I still respect myself, even though I didn't do that. Cause I think, I mean, I'm, also, I'm freaking SWAT. Like I respect the heck out of myself, right, right, right. but even if you're not on SWAT, I just think you will regret not saying something later. Cause I promise you, and I've heard you say this before, Autumn, that the, it will not get better because you don't say something yeah. because you keep your mouth. Shut. They're just going to keep doing it. I've heard you say it. You have to be able to push back at some point. You have to, at some point say enough is enough. I hear you. You shouldn't be saying these things. And for now, we can just leave it at that. And then they do it again, say, okay, you shouldn't be saying these things. Let's, and, and then take it whatever level, go to your HR, go to your, the higher ups, whatever, and go to the next step. Reach out to me and I'll help you figure out what the next step is. Yeah, and I like what you're saying too. You know, we need to document. I've talked a lot about that, but it, I think it's important, you know, obviously coming from someone like you've been through what you've been through, but also, you know, who's now an attorney who helps people mm -hmm. with this. I think it's important. I just also want to highlight too, though, that like, you know, the thing is, is we are having a very real and honest conversation, but again, we're not sitting here like, okay, here's how you find out if you're being mistreated. Like, also, please understand anybody who's listening to this, like, I don't think that every female cop is being mistreated. You just need to understand that. Mm -hmm. And right. it is very triggering for a lot of men um, mm -hmm. and women, but a lot more men are very triggered by what I have to say about all of this and would be highly triggered off of this conversation because you may, because you don't understand what it's like. Um, you may think that, oh, here we fucking go. They're just looking for ways to sue their department. They're just looking for ways to fucking whatever. And, and the, and the answer is no, it's just, this is never, this is not talked about. This is literally a taboo conversation because mm -hmm. for, for the entire birth of police work and women getting into police work, like it has been swept under the rug and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we clearly, and you know, me being, this is my podcast. Like, I just feel like we need to talk about it. And, um, again, you know, as a woman, we also, we know the job, we know the career we're getting into, you know, that I push equality. We, there is a balance to all of this. Like I said, mm -hmm. don't be a drama queen. We can all be drama queens. Mm -hmm. We do get in this job. Guys are going to bust our balls. You have got to be able to take that but there is an extreme difference from being treated like one of the guys to being, mm -hmm. you know, for, from it getting um, where, so Bridget, what we talked about as we wrap up this, I want you to be thinking about what you want to leave 
um, what you want to leave the women with who are listening to this. But what I want um, my our listeners to know is that Bridget and I talked about having her come in. She's going to come and teach a class inside the Lady Sheepdog Club. Um, if you guys are not familiar with the Lady Sheepdog Club, it is a paid community. There are hours and hours of training talking about how to get you into the job, how to get you through the job, how to survive the job, how to you know go to the next level, resiliency, mindset, mental health. I mean, all of the things. There's a sister hood in there that is um it's very close niche it's tight the girls know each other they talk all the time um and every month that we bring in an expert we get on a call together you get to see who's in it's not you know you get to see who's in the group it's not just a bunch of social media names um you know screen names and shit which is really nice and uh, bridget's gonna come in um, she's going to teach a class. Also, Bridget's going to um, do some live Q and A's with me um, inside of the Facebook group, um, Officer Autumn's Female Cops. That is free, but again, um, you so you can come in. Um, Lady Sheepdog Club is obviously a lot more uh, in depth. So, um, mm -hmm. love to have you in either one of those. Bridget, what do you want to leave our listeners with? I think the main thing that I would say, and this is what I focus my business on, is I don't think I know. You are not going to change these things happen, and you are not going to change no more than you can change what the job of law enforcement is. You are going to see hard, awful, aggravating things as a law enforcement officer, and you're going to deal with difficult and challenging situations in your job. And if you're not right now, that is fantastic, but be prepared for that to change because supervisors change all the time, get promoted, get transferred. Um, you could change departments where one is great and then you go to the next one and it's the exact opposite. You can't change that. And at the end of the day, while you can change your job or and you can do something about it, but you can also be doing a lot to take care of yourself. And so do the work on making sure that you know who you are and making sure that you're always reminding yourselves that at the end of the day, and now this is a whole separate topic, is there are other departments, there are other jobs. At the end of the day, you are more than being a cop. So mm -hmm. while this is going to be hard and challenging to deal with things like this, like what I dealt with was SWAT, but I wish I would have also focused on that more when I was on SWAT is that yes. I'm so much more than SWAT is that yes. there's so much more to me in my life. And then had I been able to recognize and it's really hard when you're so emotionally tagged into it, but that you're so much more to you. You're still great, valuable, dependable, um, and a good officer, operator, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But there's so much more to you than that. And if you can remind yourself, but you have to actively do the work for that. Mm -hmm. That doesn't just happen. I mean, I was working out all the time. I, you know, take care of myself and that wasn't enough. But I, I wish I had been doing more, whether it was from hearing it through a group like this, to constantly be reminded that I'm so much more than a SWAT operator. I'm so much more than a, than a deputy because that mm -hmm. would have helped just kind of put that in its place. And yes. while it was aggravating, it would have eventually got, gone away or I would have gotten promoted or done whatever. Um, and I'm not saying I regret leaving because I'm happy what I'm able to offer now. Um, but do the work to make sure you're still happy, which also helps you deal with that in a much better balanced way. I love it. Huge. Always, always we're so much more than this job. And I yes. say it all the time and I just, yes, it's, it's the key to everything. It's mm -hmm. literally the key to surviving this fucking job. When mm -hmm. you're saying it's just a job, it's not who you are, right? Right. I think that's hard. And I don't think everybody likes to hear that because no. the job of law enforcement is so unique. But at the end of the day, it's still just a job. That's it. Bridget, how do the people find you? 
Uh, my website is the best place. So it's myprotectivewellness.com. Um, and if you go there, you can find links to all the social stuff. Um, you can also sign up for my newsletter. So I really would love everybody to sign up for my newsletter because I have some cool courses coming out. Um, shortly after I think this episode releases, I'll have a fun, a cool course coming out called uh, Wellness Basic Training. And then I also will be giving out and putting out a lot of um, like just free legal information because I want to help. And um, if you're on the newsletter, you'll get notice of that. So uh, sign up for the newsletter and then follow me on all the socials. But go to the website, myprotectivewellness.com is where you find that. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, I'm excited to have you, you in the Leadership Dog Club. I'm excited to have you on inside of the Facebook group. It's going to be awesome. Yep. yep. To our listeners. Thank you. Keep yes. doing what you're doing, Autumn. It's amazing work. And I, I said it. I wish you this would have been around when I was on SWAT. It would have been amazing. This is such an important group. And I agree with you. We're not mail bashing. We're just acknowledging that there's some differences. That's it. There's a problem. Ladies, I'll see you next time.